So take your Bibles and turn once again to Acts chapter 2. This will be our seventh lesson. We're going to be looking this morning in verses 36 through 41. So this, this past week, I, I, I've been in Tennessee visiting with my father for his birthday. And while I was on this recent trip at my parents' house that they've lived in for over 40 years, I, I came across my mother's diaries. And as many of you know, my mother passed away some, some three years ago. And so I, I spent a portion of each day while I was there at, at the house reading through my mother's diaries, reading through her, her life experiences. And I came to, I came to one page or a few pages where mom shares her, her church experiences. And, and, and as I was reading that, I, I thought about you all and I thought, I wonder, do, do you, um, and you'll understand why in a minute, do you feel that same way as mom feels? Do you have the, the same experience? That my mother had. So I want to share with you a portion of her diary. And you may be going, seriously? That's kind of personal. You knew my mother. And she was incredibly transparent. Incredibly open. Incredibly uh, honest. You never asked yourself, well, I wonder, I wonder how she's feeling. You knew. And so I know she would have no problem with me sharing this with you. She dated each of her entries. This one is... Let's see, 22 years old, July 14th. These are her words, her writing, 1996. This is Sunday. This is a Sunday. Jim has gone to church. That's my father, Jim. This is a Sunday. Jim has gone to church. I'm having a difficult time going these days. Not because I don't believe in God, but because I've analyzed and thought a lot about churchy religion, and my own reasons for going over the years. So much of the time it's been for the wrong reasons, mainly to please Jim and just to go with him to avoid arguments or worrying what people will say if, if I don't show up or it's my duty to go to salve my conscience. How many times I... I went to church to show a, a new dress off or just to be sociable. How many times I, I daydreamed through the services. That's kind of like when I looked up. So I wonder if they daydreamed. And she writes, I firmly believe that after years of sitting and warming a pew, hearing what you should do to help others, that that is most important. If you don't help others, love others, share and give of yourself, all those sermons are a waste. So I've had six sermons now. Today's the seventh in this series. And we've been actually looking at a sermon and the whole purpose of this series is to inspire us, to equip us to, to live out the life of following Jesus, of, of sharing our faith with others, to live out, to fulfill that mission of making disciples of, of all nations. 
We've learned so many things. We've learned to pray for it's when God's people merely pray. We've learned that those prayers are not so mere at all. But God, by his spirit, fills his people and empowers his people when they pray before him. We've learned in the last second lesson to make the most of every opportunity in meetings and conversations we have with people because we learned that those meetings are not mere meetings of just randomly meeting people by coincidence, but rather it's God bringing us together with others by his divine providence. He just does that. We've learned the importance in, in those moments when, when God has brought someone into our path of, of boldly speaking. And sharing with them the story of Jesus. Mere words. Which aren't so mere at all. And then we've learned as, as, as that's kind of intimidating. The whole idea of it is I get that. And, and we ask ourselves in that moment. We freeze and we go, well, well, what do you say? What do I say right now? And we've learned to trust that God really means it when he says, you don't worry about what to say. I, by my spirit, will give you words to say in that moment. But we also learn what to say as, as we look through this passage here in Acts chapter 2. It's, a, it's an outline of what to share with others as we share the story of Jesus with others. It's a, it's a message, it's the story of Jesus shared by the Apostle Peter and the, the other disciples of Jesus as they are they got it brought thousands of people into their path and they're speaking and sharing Jesus with others. And we see on that day an incredible move of the spirit where some 3000 people made the decision to follow Jesus and give their lives to him through the initial step of baptism. And so to help us in in taking this message, that's a perfect model for us and kind of remembering it, I've divided it into a template of, of, of three questions, questions you want to ask. To help someone answer as we share this story with others. The first two questions we've already looked at. Who is Jesus? What did he do? But you can't stop there. It must become personal and practical to us. And it certainly must become personal and practical to those with whom we share the gospel. And so the final question which must be asked, well, what does it mean? That's what we're going to talk about today. It's nice to know who Jesus is. And it's nice to know what he did. But so what? What does that mean? What does that matter? Why is that important for me? Because you see, if, if this is nothing more than me sharing a story on Sunday, or this is nothing more than you just telling the story of Jesus and the story is over, then mom is right. We're just warming our chairs. And this moment will be a waste. So we must, we must answer this question, for this must be lived out. And so the Apostle Peter, in, in answering the first two questions, who is Jesus and, and what did he do? We've seen this already. He just led by the Spirit. He drives into the very core of the Jesus story. This is what Scripture says. This is of first importance. So now having done that, the Spirit then leads them to drive further into the very innermost core of his listeners. And penetrating into their hearts. Helping them understand what this means for you. 
Jesus Christ. Who is He? He is God who became man as was purposed and prophesied before the creation of the world. That's who He is. He, he, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven with the promise of His return. That's what He did. What does it mean? Now with the words, therefore, we pick up our passage and answer that question. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What does it mean? It means that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. There's so much there to say. But this word, this word Lord, it is, it is a word that's used constantly in the Old Testament. And I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking almost every time that it's used in the Old Testament, it's used in reference to God. And so when he's connecting Jesus to Lord, he's basically saying, when he says, Jesus whom you crucified is Lord, he's saying, you killed God. The very one who created you and gave you life. The very one who came to save you. You killed him. You rejected him. Can you imagine being told that? You need to imagine being told that. Because you are being told that. These words are speaking directly to us. When he says you. He means because of your sinful disobedience, you are culpable for the death of the Son of God. It means that He is both Lord and Christ. But that Lord has another meaning to us that is incredibly important for us. The word Lord also conveys with it the sense of, of, of master and ruler. He is both Lord and Christ. Christ meaning He's Savior. And we all love that. Oh, we all want Jesus Christ as Savior. But there's less of an interest to have Him as Lord because when He becomes Lord, that means I submit my way to His, my will to His. That is incredibly important for there are far too many of us who claim to be Christians, but Jesus is not Lord of our lives. We are Lord of our own lives. He can't be Lord or Christ he must be Lord and Christ. What does it mean? It means Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Verse 37. When the people heard this. They were cut. To the heart. What does it mean? It means you should be. It means we should be cut to the heart. And that 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 word literally means to feel pain, to feel something like something just stabbed you. In your gut, it means to be emotionally moved, to feel sorrow and guilt for what one has done within. Now, this is not very PC in our church world today. I understand that. My goal, what I'm supposed to do is make everybody have goosebumps today with warm fuzzies of a happy, clappy feeling of joy. Let's have no mention of sin, no mention of guilt, no mention of hell. We want everyone to leave Happy and not sad. That is a deceptive and dangerous imbalanced message. If you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord. If your sins are not forgiven, if you have yet to really take that step and follow him, you need to feel the hurt of that. 
I want you to. I want you to wake up at two in the morning and that bother you. That's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. In church, if we are followers of Jesus, if we're not living out the life of following Him and sharing the story with others, that needs to bother us. We need to be convicted. We need to be cut to the heart. And if we're saying to ourselves, well, I don't feel that, conviction could mean we're desensitized. Or that our hearts are hardened. Oh, may the Holy Spirit cut Convict. You know the words else, somewhere else in Scripture in Hebrews is a quote from the Old Testament. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. What does it mean? It means we should be, we must be, you must be cut to the heart. But it's got to go more than just a painful feeling on the outside. Verse 38. No, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall, should we do? Or shall we do? It means you got to do something. You can't just sit here and hear this and leave and say, okay, see you next Sunday. Something has to happen. These people got that. They understood that. This this conviction, convicting feeling on the inside, it must translate into an action on the outside. Otherwise, mom's right. It's a waste. And so the people cut to the heart asked, well, what, what do we do? Verse 38, Peter replied. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? It means you must repent. Again, not a word that's very, very used in church world anymore because that means there's something in your life that needs to change. That's where the word repent. That's just a nice, fancy church word that means change. It means there's a change on the inside that's empowered, that's affected by the Holy Spirit that leads to a, a change on the outside. It means coming to Jesus and turning from whatever it is in my heart, in my actions, in my words, in my attitudes that are contrary to His will. That's incredibly important. Because a number of us have been baptized, but it was void of repentance. I'm guessing if your story is similar to mine. I did that when I was 16. Rushed to get baptized. But I was just as immoral and godly afterwards as I was before. There can be no genuine conversion without genuine repentance. What does it mean? It means you must repent in verse 38. It means if you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized today. Notice he says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Who's that talking about? Every one of you is talking about every one of us. If there's someone here who's never given their life to Christ and being baptized, it's speaking directly to you. This is one of the most 
analyzed and dissected passages in the Bible because it's what is said here about baptism. We make it incredibly complicated, but it's really not so complicated as Gary just described it through the pictures of the cards that you'll pick up on the tables. It is an immersion into water. That's why we have a baptistry here that's quite deep. It's an immersion into water as Gary showed us with a picture as Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected. When I'm baptized into Christ, I'm buried, I die and go into the water, I'm buried and I rise from the water as Christ rose from the dead. Listen, it's not a work. It's not a work you do to be saved. We already talked about what He did. We've covered that. What was that last week? It's our response to the work that He did by His grace. And skip ahead to verse 41. We read that those who accepted His message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What does it mean? It means that your obedience response, obedient response to who Jesus is and what He did is of utmost urgency. It wasn't, you guys think about it, go home, let's get together again. There was something they needed to do and they needed to do it that day. They got that. Why? Because your obedient response of faith to the story of Jesus is of urgency because it means two things. It means your sins. It says here it's for the forgiveness of your sins. We hear that so much. Do we get that? All of the sin that I have committed, all my sin, all my guilt, all my shame, all my deserved punishment of what I've done against myself, against you, against my family, against others, and against God most of all, that's removed. That's incredible. It means your sins are forgiven. And secondly, it means you receive the gift the Holy Spirit. This is the indwelling of the Spirit unto salvation and the Holy Spirit empowering me to live the life of following Jesus in a way that I can't do on my own without Him. That's what it means. And as it states in verse 41, those who accepted His message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. It means that not only do I enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ upon my response of faith, but I enter into the community of God's family, the church. That's why they were baptized that day. Why would a person want to live another day without the indwelling of the Spirit and salvation, without the forgiveness of sins, without being a part of the family of God? Verse 39. What does it mean? The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord, our God, will call. It means that this promise of salvation, forgiveness, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, it is for you. This is not an archaic book, out of touch and out of date, but it is just as relevant as it was then. It is relevant for us today. And as we talked about last week, where Peter cuts deep into the hearts of his listeners and says, you put him to death, and that you means you, in the same way this promise is for you. That you, it means you. And then finally, verse 40, with many other words, He warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves 
from this corrupt generation. What does it mean? It means that there is nothing more important in your life. Nothing. Than placing your faith in your life in Jesus Christ. And spending the rest of your life helping others do the same. And you see that. You see that from, from the tone that is being used here in this message. This isn't, well, there you go. Have a nice Sunday, a nice week. See you next week. He's warning. He's pleading with them to be saved from this corrupt generation. Oh, that could be crooked or wicked or evil. We live in that world. A world, Scripture tells us, which will one day be destroyed and all mankind will enter into their eternal destiny in heaven or hell based upon their response to the person of Jesus That's why he uses such a tone in this passage. And so he closes this incredible sermon. Here in Acts chapter two. Some 3000 people. Made a decision to follow Jesus. And the world has never been the same. Who is Jesus? He's God who became man. He is is the, the, the prophesied, the purpose of God's will and purpose for your life and mine. Prophesied from before the creation of the world. What did He do? He took your place in death for your sins, dying on the cross. He rose from the dead, giving us hope that our story is not over at the grave. His story was not over at the grave. He ascended to heaven. He poured out His Spirit with a promise to return. That's who He is. That's what He did. That, my friends, is mere Christianity. The mere message of the Gospel, which is not so mere at all. So, we close with this question. So what does it mean for you? Which is another way of saying, what are you going to do? If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, are you going to respond in obedient faith and repentance and baptism today? Our elders will be at the tables to talk to you. If that's what the Spirit is speaking to you, He should be if you're not hearing it. Will you, as a follower of Jesus, will we share this message with others and take the cards and use them, perhaps? If not, if your answer is nope, then, then i got to ask you, kind of like the question my mom was asking yourself, why are you here? Why did you come? To show off a new dress? I got new boots when I was with dad. Is that why I'm here? Did you come to be sociable? Did you come because someone else was kind of making you feel like you needed to come and you wanted to make them happy? Did you come because you're worried? Well, what will others say if I don't come? Did you come to sit here and 
and daydream or surf the internet. If you did, then once again, this sermon, this sermon was a waste. As my mother closed her journal entry for that particular day, she, she wrote these words. I wonder what I have learned. A lot of it has not been a waste because I do know was expected of a Christian. As some of you remember, my mother was diagnosed and she died within a, a three week period of time from her diagnosis. And in that three weeks of spending time with her, many people came to the house to it was really weird to say their final goodbyes. And some of those people I'd never met before. And at the funeral, a big building, completely full, standing room only, people standing out in the foyer, people standing uh, in the basement, in the fellowship hall, because there was not a rough room. And I'm telling you, I think 60 to 70% of those people I, I, I had never met, but they were people whom God had put in my mom's path. And after the service or at my house, they would come up to introduce themselves to me and they would tell me how mom had shared her life and her faith with them. How she had shared Jesus with them and how she had loved them and how she had helped them. Indeed, for mom, it was more than warming a pew. It was not a waste. What about you? What does this mean for you? Will the only impact of this sermon be the warm chair you leave behind? Or will it be a, a warmed heart that's on fire to follow Jesus and to share Him with others? As we go to the tables now to take communion, it, it, it must become more than just remembering and celebrating who He is and what He did, but it's a time of reflection as we take the cup that represents His blood and the, and the bread that represents His body. It's a time to reflect and ask, well, what does this mean for me? Not next week or next year, but for me today. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask that our shepherds now spread out. We have trays here, there, here, and there. And that you see them and that you go to them and, and, and pray with them when we when we um, break for communion. They're there to receive you for prayer. If it's your heart's desire to give your life to Jesus and baptism today, let them know. We would love to prolong our service for that. All of us are invited to come. It's free. Free food. Just an just appetizer that represents something so incredibly huge. Our salvation that was purchased for us by His body and His blood. All of us are invited to come and freely receive. And in turn, every single one of us have been called then to leave and share this free gift with others. For freely you have received, Jesus says. Freely give. I'm going to say a prayer and then we're going to break for communion. 
Our kids are standing right there who are in junior worship. We want them to have communion with their parents. So if you're a parent, we would ask that you would first go to them. They're going to come in those doors as soon as I say the prayer. Would you stand with me? Father, it's, it's up to you. I, I'm not that good at this. But I have read and shared what you have told me to read and share. And I'm trusting now in, in your work, O Holy Spirit. Cut deeply. And convict us. And answer for each one of us what this means for us. We come to these tables to remember and celebrate who you are and what you've done. We come to these tables to devote our lives to you. In Jesus' name.